Flossum, the philosophy of embracing your so-called flaws and being awesome despite them. It's about kicking perfectionism to the curb. It's about showing your face on video, maybe even without makeup. Flossum is letting your audience in on your reality when you're not dressed to the nines, when you're willing to try something new to promote your business, when you're feeling extra passionate about something. I'm Anita Kirkbride, founder of Twerp Communications and Social Media Day Halifax. After a decade in the social media space, I've got a lot to say. I'm inviting you to join me on a journey of embracing your flossom. Season two of the podcast is part passionate ranting, part storytelling, and completely and radically transparent. Around here, we commit to being good enough. We dropkick perfectionism out of the glow wrestling ring. We celebrate getting shit done because done and shipped is so much more satisfying than perfect and never done. Welcome to season two of Be Flossom, the Good Enough podcast. Today, my guest is Mark Schaefer. Mark is a globally recognized author, speaker, podcaster, and business consultant. He's a prolific writer and speaker whose work sits at the intersection of marketing, technology, and humanity. He has advanced degrees in marketing and organizational development, holds seven patents, I didn't know that, and is a faculty member of the Graduate Studies Program at Rutgers University. He's the best-selling author of nine popular marketing books, at least a couple of them are over here on my shelf, including the very first book on influence marketing. His blog, Grow, and the podcast, The Marketing Companion, are ranked among the top-rated publications in the marketing field. His clients range from successful startups to global brands such as Adidas, Johnson & Johnson, Dell, the U.S. Air Force, and the U.K. government. And he's appeared on lots of media channels as well, all the way from Tennessee, where his very own bees make honey that wins blue ribbons at the state fair. I am so excited to talk to Mark Schaefer. Welcome. I am delighted to be with you, Anita. The first thing I want to know is about these bees, because I've been following you for a long time and I've never seen you post anything about these bees. Oh, I post on Instagram a little bit sometimes. Yeah, so I have some land that is kind of in the woods. And um, I learned that the bees are in crisis, right? We we were having a bee crisis. And so I thought, well, look, maybe I can do something good for the environment by having bees on my land. So I contacted some local bee people and they said, oh, awesome. Perfect. Your land would be perfect. Oh, so I'm thinking five or six years ago, I started having bees and the guy that helped me set it up entered my honey in the local state fair, in the local county fair, won the blue ribbon, entered it in the state fair, won the blue ribbon. I didn't even know he had (laughs) entered the honey and it is really good honey. (laughs) That's interesting. I'm a very big, I'm a honey snob. I grew up, my father always would eat honey on toast as a snack. And I didn't like honey. I always found it just too sweet for me. And Uh a couple of years ago, I discovered a local brand of honey here in Nova Scotia Mm -hmm. from Seafoam Lavender Company. And their bees feed only on lavender. Yeah. And that honey is 
I have a lot of lavender in my yard. I have a lot of lavender and the bees are, are, they're very laid back bees, you know, they're in the woods and nobody bothers them and they just kind of do their thing. And then once a year we take a little honey out and that's it. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's so interesting because I hadn't ever seen any post about that from you. So I thought, well, that's, that's just really cool. It's something different, right? I'm different in a lot of ways. Oh, like, well, <laughs> you just you need are. to figure it out. That's your job. <laughs> you are different in a lot of ways. I've never heard anybody build a marketing. Was it a taco? It wasn't a taco. A marketing gordita? Oh, what was that thing? No, it was the mark. You must have been at social media marketing world. I was at social media marketing world, but yeah. you did the taco thing. And I can't Chalupa. remember. It was Chalupa. Chalupa. Content marketing chalupa. Yeah. Yes. I will never forget that talk. (laughs) Although I can't remember the name of the product because I don't eat there. But yeah. yeah. So just before we started, I was saying that the work I do is helping really small businesses and entrepreneurs Mm -hmm. understand social media planning and strategy and how they can implement it themselves. And one of the things that I often hear from people is that they want to be a thought leader. And I'm starting to kind of rebel against this term thought leader because I hear it so much. Yeah. And I'm wondering, in your book, you wrote about being known Uh and you said that being known is very different from being a thought leader, although they can, there's a Venn diagram of people that can share the two feelings. So do you think that phrase is overused? Is it like the new guru, do you think? Or am I just way Uh, off base? I tend to not get too caught up in things like that. I'm more focused on what's the job that has to be done and what's the best way to do it right now. So I think I would reframe it like this. To stand out today, you have to be relevant. That's really it. You need to be relevant to your audience in some way. And it's getting harder to do that because the world is changing so much, right? And so people are spending their energy and their time in different ways. And so we always have to rethink, how am I relevant to my audience right now? When people unsubscribe from my blog, oh, you know, it happens maybe once a year. But (laughs) I mean, people unsubscribe from my content because maybe their job has changed, their world has changed. Maybe I'm not a priority anymore but they can check a box to tell me why they're unsubscribing. And when they check the box that says content no longer relevant, you know, maybe that's something about them, but I also get a little sinking feeling inside, like why? Why wasn't I relevant? Where am I failing? And I think to stay connected to an audience and earn that audience, you have to be relevant. Now, there are lots of ways to be relevant, You can provide information that helps people have a happier life, a healthier life, help them make money, save money, have more fun in their lives. You can teach them something. You can maybe uh, have a story that's full of emotion that makes people just love you in a way because they can relate to you. Or you can be a thought leader. You can be someone who is so smart that you think, well, to be relevant, I need to follow this person. I need to learn from this person. So it's really, I mean, thought leadership, I think maybe is a subset of this whole idea of just fighting to be relevant, no matter what you do. If you make pizza, 
if you are selling cars, if you're selling insurance, your customers are changing all the time. Just think about the upheaval in the car industry right now. I think I just got off the phone a little while ago with someone that was telling me about the upheaval in the fitness industry right now Mm -hmm. because of the pandemic. So this idea of being relevant is a moving target. We don't have the luxury anymore to say, oh, here's our strategy, because our strategy might be changing every month if our customers are changing every month. That's basically really actually what I wrote about in my latest book, Cumulative Advantage, right? It's about how do we call it the seam? How do we find that seam? It's about applying what we're good at. It's about applying our, our energy and our resources and our ideas to solving someone's problems right now. And this is a great period of of opportunity because there's so much change. So if somebody came to you and said, you know, I'm really trying to be the thought leader in my industry, Uh what would you tell them they need to do? Like if that's their goal, their goal is to be the person that people think of when they think of something. Well, I mean, I think earning the title of thought leader is something that is bestowed on you by an audience. It's not something you can really claim for yourself. I've written a lot of books. So people think I'm a thought leader. I do not call myself a thought leader. I call myself a student. The day I think I'm a thought leader is the day my career is over. It's about constantly learning and being open-minded and adjusting and adopting. And, And I'm learning all the time. I think To establish an effective presence, you need to be consistent, first of all. You need to show up. Someone told me one time, oh, you know, creating content and blogging, it doesn't work. I gave up. I said, why? Well, I wrote five blog posts in 2017 and nothing happened. Well, of course, nothing's going to happen. So you need to be consistent. You need to be generous. You need to be spiky. What I mean by that is you can't just do what everybody else is doing. You know, if you write a blog post that says five mistakes that people make on Twitter, nobody cares. That's a post that anybody could write. If you wrote a blog post that said how Twitter saved my marriage, I would read that because I know that's a piece of content that could be only created by one person. And that's what we really need. I mean, if you want to be seen as a leader, then you need to create content that's different than anybody else. You need to lead the pack. Yeah, exactly. That's what I've been trying to tell people who tell me I want to be the thought leader. I want to be the go-to person. Well, Mm -hmm. you can't be the thought leader if you don't have leading thoughts, right? If you're just doing the same thing everybody else is doing, you're not a thought leader. You're a thought follower. I think there are lots of ways to become known. And honestly, I mean, you mentioned that I wrote the book called Known. And, you know, I'm not a bragging person, but I mean, I nailed it with that book. (laughs) I I mean, I did. I spent two years researching and writing that book. And, you know, if someone wants to stand out in the world and be known, there's sort of a process that everybody follows. And you don't have to stumble around and try to figure it out anymore. You just read the book. Uh, I did all the stumbling for you. And. (laughs) You know, interviewed 97 people who are the leaders in in their field all over the world. And they all did the same four things. So just read the book and it'll dramatically 
improve your learning curve. <laughs> it will. It's one of the ones that is over here on the side that I forgot to pull out. But one of the other ones you wrote was the marketing rebellion. Uh -huh. And I think that's where the uh, Chalupa came from was in that yes. one, maybe. And you say the most human company wins. Mm -hmm. What does that mean? How can a company be human? Well, we've always been human. You think about, you know, let me tell you about a little experience I had that illustrates my point. I was recently in the wonderful and beautiful city of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and they have a section in their downtown area that is just kind of like neighborhood shops. And there's one shop in there where they have an entire immense case full of different kinds of cheese. And then they have another one that's full of different sort of sausages and meats. And I stood there as I watched local people from neighborhoods come and look at the cheese and the person behind the counter knew every person. And they stood there and they talked about their families and well, hey, try this new cheese I got in today. I think little Joey's gonna like this. Now, that's the way we used to buy everything. It was human to human, person to person. It was the neighborhood shop. And over the last 50 years, we've been interrupted by this thing called mass advertising that we found a way to like really efficiently advertise to mass markets and create this new sort of artificial way to connect with people. But now we're in a world where people don't see that anymore, okay? We're in a streaming world. I watch more TV than I've ever watched. I don't see ads because it's on Netflix where I'm watching The Mandalorian on Disney Plus and I don't see ads. And I listen to music all day long. I listen to Spotify or I listen to audiobooks. I never hear ads. And 650 million people in this world have ad blockers on their smart devices. And our advertising consumption has dropped by 95% in the last five years. So if you're a business that was built on advertising, that's going away. And we've got to figure out a new way to connect. And we've got to think about, wait a minute, what was that all about 50 years ago when we actually knew people and we actually talked to people? I think, Anita, 20 years from now, we're going to look back at this era of mass advertising and think, what the hell was that all about? <laughs> what were we doing? And I'm not saying that there's not a place for advertising. There is. I'm not saying that advertising is going to completely go away. It, you know, it's not. But Here's the profound fact in the Marketing Rebellion book. And this is not my opinion. This is a well-researched fact. Mm -hmm. Two-thirds of our marketing is occurring without us. Yes. Our customers are our marketers. All right? Now, if you think about your own buying experience, what you buy because your friend was enthusiastic about a new type of coat or umbrella or whatever, and that's why you bought it. I just bought an expensive new suitcase because I have a friend who geeks out about this stuff. He said, this is the one to buy. I said, fine, my research is over. I'm going to go buy that. That's how people buy things. I didn't read a blog post. 
I didn't go to a YouTube channel. I bought this because someone told me. So now, this suggests an entirely new mindset. To be successful at marketing, we've got to create something so memorable, so interesting, so valuable that people want to tell other people about it. That's hard. Marketing's hard, but that's what we need to do. And it's not going to happen. We can't buy our way in with ads. We've got to figure out a new way to do it. And that's exactly what I talk about in the Marketing Rebellion book. Do you think it's harder for a small business, let's say a, a social media consultant or a, a life coach mm -hmm. to do that, to create something that just everybody wants to talk about? No, or is it's, it, it's the same. It's easier. It's a lot easier because today, increasingly, the brand is the personal brand. It's the person. We want to know the person. So a small business, you know, it was founded by a person. They're there every day. They see their customers. You are the brand. Now, what if you're a company like Coca-Cola or Procter & Gamble that has built their entire business on advertising and that advertising doesn't work anymore. And nobody knows the people. Mm -hmm. Nobody buys your soap or your shampoo because they love you. They buy it because they have a coupon. But those days are coming to an end, right? We're going to buy it because the emotional connection is because we love this person in our community. We love this person because they show up and they add value to our lives and they're involved in our community and they believe in us and we believe in them. And that's, you know, what marketing is today. It's not being in a community. It's being of the community. It's not giving a donation to somebody. It's rolling up your sleeves and showing up in a way that people are talking about how great you are. It's so true. And it's funny you should mention soap specifically because Twitter is my favorite network. I, I spend most of my time scrolling on Twitter when I'm uh -huh. looking for somebody to talk to. And I actually bought handmade soap yeah. from somebody that I have never met before, who I only had ever talked to on Twitter because right. she was making it as a side hustle. I yeah. drove half an hour to go to her house to pick up expensive handmade soap because yeah. of who she was on that platform. Right. All right. So now let me ask you a question. Let's say instead of engaging with you on Twitter, she had this idea. I am going to take out ads that are going to compel Anita to buy my soap. How would she have done that? Would you have ever bought the soap? No, no, based I wouldn't a, have. Based on a Facebook ad? No. Nope. Because the person is the brand. Absolutely. I agree 100%. And that's yeah. why I love Twitter, because it's a chance to really get to know people. Yeah. And so Absolutely. many people don't yeah. see that about Twitter. No, um, it is. You know, a lot of people see the problems and the controversy about social media, and there's a lot. But there's also a lot of beauty. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of opportunity and true, authentic human connection. Mm -hmm. And you can't overlook that. Well, that sounds to me like parasocial relationships, which you also talked about recently in a, in a blog post. I think I was mm -hmm. reading about that and how 
people tend to feel like they know you, mm -hmm. like you're a friend, even though they've never met you. And I say that all the time. There are people on Twitter that know me better than my best friend from high school because I talk to them more than I talk to her. Right, right. And yeah, this was something that was observed in the early days of media when people started to watch sitcoms and shows on television and then feel like those people were their friends. And, you know, I'm not a big celebrity or a star, but I mean, I've created a lot of content and I have a lot of followers and I have a lot of people who tell me, I listen to your podcast. I've listened to all your audiobooks. Your voice is in my head all the time. I just feel like I know you. I just feel like you're my friend. I mean, that's pretty powerful. Mm -hmm. It is. So one of the things I always ask people on this podcast is, how are you embracing the philosophy of being flossom? So the idea of being flossom is that we're all imperfect beings. Speak for yourself. <laughs> well, you've posted uh, recently a couple of really good yeah. posts about being imperfect. There right. was one that resonated with me particularly because uh -huh. I do this, which is not remembering people's names or that you've met them before which yeah. happens to me all the time. It happened right now. Well, because it you did. told me I met you on a Zoom call last year and I didn't remember. Well, I wasn't going to call you out in but public I feel like, about that. So, so once again, I feel like an idiot. Thank you very much, Ania. <laughs> I did that privately. I was not going to call you yeah. out publicly. Yeah. No, but that happens to me all the time. So how are you practicing being flossom, embracing the fact that you're not perfect? None of us are. Well... I think in that article that you're referring to, I talked about this statistic that, that haunted me that one third of the people on social media, the overwhelming emotion that they feel is jealousy. <laughs> and I hate that because people show their shiny best selves. And I became determined to not just show my shiny best self and to really kind of just give people as more of a holistic view of who I am as a person. And I want to tell you that this has not come natural for me. You know, I grew up in a family that was very stoic. You do not show your emotions. You do not cry. It's nobody's business. And now I'm in this world of social media and I don't want to do anything. And I'm like terrified. And I'll never forget this sort of signature moment for me when there's a, a woman who I admired very much in Chicago and it was a Thanksgiving holiday here in America. And she made this little video. She posted a video of her family sitting around this Thanksgiving feast and they all were waving high. And it just was such a warm and inviting little moment. And I thought, why can't I be like that? I mean, it really makes me like her. She's inviting me in. Why can't I be like that? And so I started pushing myself to really to be more human, right? To be less academic and to really show my, my heart and to show my frustration sometimes. And then when I did, this amazing thing happened. People started to say, Oh, Mark, how did you know? I was just struggling with that very same problem. It helped me so much 
to know there's somebody else out there that, you know, couldn't figure this out or whatever. I thought, hmm, well, that's really kind of having an impact on people. I'm, it makes me feel good that I can help people that way. And so I, you know, kept opening up a little bit more. And it's still a challenge, but I took my ultimate risk in the first chapter of the known book. And for anybody who's read that book knows that in the first chapter of known, I talk about the darkest time of my life. I wrote that and took it out 70 times <laughs> because it was terrifying to talk about that, but I had to do it. I had to do it because the whole book is about stories and inspiration about people who had nothing. Some of them were homeless and they were able to work on this process to become known and make their dreams come true. And I thought I would be so not very courageous at all if I depended on these other people's stories and didn't tell my own story to say, I'm not speaking to you from the top of a mountain. Mm -hmm. When I started this process, I was probably lower than anywhere you are right now. So come on, let's do this together. And it set the tone to say, I'm like you, I suffer too. And then there's this emotional tone to the book, this crescendo to the book. By the end of the book, it shows all these happy, wonderful things that are happening to me because I'm known that I'm having this positive impact on other people's lives because I'm known and only because I stuck it out and went through this process. Are there other things that you're doing online while you're building your brand that are outside of your comfort zone? Well, that's a good question. Business-wise, I do things out of my comfort zone because that's how I experiment and grow. In terms of my personal brand, if I was outside of my comfort zone, I would probably feel like a fake. You know, I feel like I was like mm -hmm. being inauthentic in some way that I was trying to do something that I'm not, you know? So, I mean, off the top of my head, I'd say that, you know, what you see is what you get with me. Now, you know, business-wise, I'm always trying new things. I'm always experimenting. I'm always nervous. <laughs> <laughs> That's interesting because I thought you might say- Oh, uh, good. <laughs> well, I didn't Challenge. want to lead you to an answer, but yeah. I thought you might talk about the watercolor paintings that you do because you showed your yeah. very first one when you started. Yeah. Uh, or I thought you might talk about the fact that you're now making short form videos, which you had said before you were not into. <laughs> well, okay. All right. I think the short form videos, it's just a practical Mm -hmm. reality. And what happened, Anita, is last year, there were two people in a row that hired me for a speaking engagement. And I said, just curious, how did you hear about me? And they said, well, you know, I listened to you. I heard about you on a podcast. And then I went to check you out on YouTube. And my YouTube channel was a mess. So I thought, oh, wow. You know, even though it's not my favorite thing, I've got to get my house in order on YouTube and have at least have sort of a respectable presence. If that's the go-to channel, which it is for most of the world, I can't ignore it anymore. So I think what you see there and what you experience there 
is it's authentic. It's me. I mean, I am, I am pushing the boundaries a little bit. I mean, I probably say things on the video that I wouldn't necessarily say on the blog. My most popular video so far is called Don't Be Batshit Crazy. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, I'm, I think I'm starting to loosen up a little bit on YouTube and have a little bit more fun. But I think you're right. You know, I am, I'm pushing myself in new directions, but it's all still me. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, I've got one last question for you. Most of the people listening to this podcast are the very small business owners. They're solopreneurs. Mm. They work from home. I work from home. If you could give solopreneurs and very small businesses and entrepreneurs one piece of advice for digital marketing, what would that one piece of advice be? I would push yourself to, first of all, if you're doing anything in digital marketing that people hate, stop it. And it's easy to know what that is because you're a consumer too. So if you're spamming people, if you're annoying them, stop it. That's not going to work in the long term. Mm -hmm. Then you have to like think about, all right, what do people love? What would they love? What can I do that they would love? How can I be more human in every customer touch point, in every phone call? in every meeting, in every visit to my store? How can I show my face, provided you're not wearing a COVID mask, but how can I show my smile? You know, Maybe it's just the twinkle in your eyes if we're still in the pandemic, right? But how can I add my personality, my passion, my compassion, especially now in a pandemic? How can I embrace the community and show up in a new way that matters. How can I be more human in everything that I do? And that is going to give you some good insights into how to be better in not just your digital marketing, but all of your marketing. Fabulous. I love that advice. Be more human. You would think that would be easy, but apparently it's not for some people. It's not. And because just doing ads is easy, right? You put in money and you get something out and you can see it. And a lot of times connecting to people in a meaningful way is hard to measure. Mm. You know, it's not something you can take home and show to your significant other and say, oh, look at this progress that I made, right? It's more subtle. It's hard to measure. And I address that in the Marketing Rebellion book. I talk about measurement. I address all the hard subjects. But, you know, I think everybody wants to belong. Everyone wants to be acknowledged. Everyone wants to be loved. So how do we sort of help people find that with our marketing and our business? Those things will never change. So how do we focus on that? All right. Well, we will put links to the podcast, to your website and your blog and all of your socials on the show notes page so people can follow you if they're not already, which they should be following you. Your blog, your newsletter that comes is one of the few that I open every time it comes. Thank you. Thank you for that because it does resonate with me and I try to share it when I think it will resonate with other people. So Mm -hmm. thank you for that. And thank you for joining me today to talk about your experience and how you're being flossom. I appreciate (laughs) you taking the time. Well, it's been an honor. And thank you so much for doing such a great job with the show, being so well prepared with very, very insightful questions. (laughs) Thank you. 
Hey, if you're still here, what is your definition of success for your business? If your family needed you, do you have the space in your business to make that happen? I mean, I know you would make that happen, but is your business and your marketing set up to allow you the space to be present for your family without constantly worrying about the business or your next paycheck or your social media presence that you've worked so hard to build? If you can answer yes, congratulations. You are successful in my books and I hope in your own mind too. If you're not quite there yet and you need some help, I would love to hear from you and share some strategies to improve your online marketing while creating that space you so desire. I've opened up my calendar for 30-minute brainstorming sessions to help entrepreneurs like you get a taste of what it's like to work with a social media strategist. You can access these $97 sessions at twerp.ca slash brainstorm. Thanks for listening. I'll see you next week. Thanks for listening to Be Flossom, the Good Enough podcast. Before you leave, don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss next week's episode when I'll be talking to another perfectly imperfect entrepreneur. If you're looking for the show notes, head on over to beflossom.ca where you'll also find all the links to connect with today's guest.